How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Fear Frequency, the show where two best friends talk about horror movies and video games every Wednesday. Uh, this is episode 91, if my memory is to be believed. How's it going, George? Good, man. How are you? Uh, good. We were together for a whole week, did not record a podcast because <laughs> we had that issue with... It's so stupid. We had that issue with Spotify where the episode... 89 didn't show up for anyone who uses spotify which in itself is stupid because anchor the platform we use to upload our podcast is owned by spotify (laughs) so something's fucky there i figured out the issue last week it comes down to saving a draft if you save a draft and then schedule it to go live it'll never show up on spotify i figured out the issue so that's stupid then we did a last of us episode where we talked a lot about that we posted that right after episode 89 after we had re-uploaded 89 for all the people on spotify it was fourth of july we were hanging out we were having a good time we were like we'll just pat it out a little bit and today here we are on wednesday and it all worked out because george holy shit we got a lot of stuff to talk about yeah uh big day big news coming out today yeah, we're going to bring the Loomis scream out of retirement <laughs> because we have a Halloween alert. So, unfortunately, we got to get it out of the way here. Halloween Kills has been delayed a, almost exactly one year. One year and one day to October 15th, 2021. And then, obviously, Halloween Ends is delayed to October of 2022. I think they gave it a release date. I just did not look it up before this and write it down. I'm going to guess somewhere in between October 14th and 16th of 2022. And I'm pretty positive that's right. We also got a teaser for the movie that's 30 seconds. And it is literally the first scene of the movie. I confirmed with someone who's at the test screening. The very first shot in Halloween Kills is the balloons on the fence that you see in the teaser. So what do you what do you think of this news? Let me get your thoughts on it. I mean, obviously it sucks to have the movie delayed a year when... You know, we all want to see the movie, but I feel like, I mean, we talked about a little bit either last week or the week before where it just was not monetarily feasible to release it this year with all the theaters being shut down. So I completely understand the decision to push it back um, as much as it sucks, but you know, what are you going to do? John Carpenter released a letter that he and David Gordon Green wrote together. David Gordon Green does not have a Twitter. John Carpenter's old. So this is an image that I have to read, <laughs> which I'm sure like... I, friend of the show, John Squires over at Bloody Disgusting. This must must have been a bitch for him to transcribe <laughs> because it was just a JPEG of a, of a Microsoft Word document with the Halloween Kills logo on top. And it's the wrong title treatment. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, does that sound good? Should I read it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. We write this to you heartbroken over the fact that the delay of our film is even in a discussion. But if there's one thing a career... Wait, I already fucked it up. (laughs) But if there's one thing that a career in the film industry has prepared us for, it is the unexpected. Over the past few weeks, our film family has looked at the forecast of theatrical exhibition with obvious concern. We have discussed and struggled with how best to present Halloween Kills to the loyal fans around the world. That's us. We're like that meme where the kid points at himself. Yeah, exactly. As, (laughs) As well as the new audience we hope to invite to this experience. That's important because they're trying to pull in new people, which means they want to make more than $250 million. 
it was it was a wild and vibrant production. We lined up a cast of legendary characters like Lori and Tommy, Lindsay, Mandingo, Lonnie, Marion, Bracket, and The Shape. Then, alongside some new faces, we aggressively made the second chapter of our Halloween trilogy. It unfolded a new experience that was a creative playground, and we feel confident that our misfit pleasures will be seen as an unexpected entry into this franchise. If we release it in October of this year as planned, we have to face the reality that the film would be consumed in a compromised theatrical experience. After weighing our options, we have chosen to push the film's theatrical release date by one year. On top of a traditional release, I strong-armed Universal myself with my 70-year-old man body <laughs> into giving us an IMAX presentation of the film in October 2021. I ad-libbed that. We are sound mixing one of the greatest design teams that can slash, scream, and creep their way under your skin. We're gonna have a we're gonna have time to complete the film what the quality fans deserve. And preparation on Halloween ends has begun as well. It's an honor to be working with these characters and spending time in Haddonfield. We look forward to sharing our next chapters with you. Okay, so that's the letter. Signed David Gordon Green and John Carpenter. It, it makes sense. The, the, this everything about this is smart. They made the really intelligent move to delay the movie, and then the fact that we're going to get to see it in IMAX is awesome. Obviously, they're not they didn't shoot it in IMAX or we would have heard about that, but the sound mixing is where the IMAX is really going to come into play, and you bet your fucking ass I will be there day 1 to see it in IMAX. Yeah, guaranteed. Hear that full John Carpenter score loud as hell in the theater. Can't beat that. Yeah, and there's just going to be really cool sound design obviously cuz it's a Halloween movie, and I just there, there's a uh, there's even more john carpenter did an interview with uh indiewire and he said the cut is done they'll mix it in new york in the next week or so then it'll be in the can my work is all done <laughs> the movie is something else it's fun intense and brutal a slasher movie times 100 big time big time it's huge so that's that's just him repeating everything we've heard for months about this movie is that the kill count is insane there's a lot of fucking brutality michael myers is going crazier than ever and Haddonfield should be scared for the rest of their Halloween night, which is still taking place in 2018. Uh, it's just, it sucks that they announced, I bet they're kicking themselves for announcing the movie. Because if they didn't put out that trailer last Halloween that was like half-assed, no, no, it was even before that. That teaser they did with all footage from Halloween 2018 to announce two movies they wouldn't be in this mess right that was the big deal right too i mean it was like they they released like back to back this movie's coming out this year and the following one the last one in the trilogy is coming out the year after so it was like big news that we were going to get a, a complete trilogy within the next two years so it sucks that like that plan that big cool reveal got pushed back because of unprecedented you know times in america yeah and i'm super sympathetic to the fact that people are scared they're going to be stuck inside for the rest of the year and halloween is going to be canceled and obviously if you're thinking about your favorite day of the year my favorite day of the year george's favorite day of the year not happening as intended the silver lining a lot of people are, were thinking of is that they'd be able to just rent halloween kills and have a nice halloween at home the problem is Universal wants to make a buttload of money on this, and all of the data that we have suggests that if they released it on VOD, it would be pirated by most people and not make anywhere close to as much as Halloween 2018. Now you're saying, but what if it's profitable? And I'm going to tell you that if this movie does not make somewhere 
close to Halloween 2018, especially considering they put a very pointed line in their delay letter saying they want to make more than Halloween 2018. Halloween ends isn't going to happen. So you, you got to have the perfect storm once again where this movie makes bank. Yeah, and that's just not going to happen with a VOD release. And that's just the, the reality of it. We talked about it last week. And even if theaters were open at half capacity, that's still not good enough for this movie. That's That literally is cutting down the profits by 50%. So if it made as much as Halloween 2018 then it's only making $125 million. And guess what? That's not enough. That's just not enough for the people who want to make money on this. There's people at Blumhouse, Jason Blum, most likely, Ryan Turek, even John Carpenter. They probably are just trying to do what will make the fans happy. And they're good people who love this, this franchise. But then you've got the bean counters up at Universal who see it as essentially an investment. That's all they see it as. And they want to return on that investment. But I did talk to Ryan Turek and I thanked him for releasing stuff today. And I said the delay was smart. And he said we the only reason they even did that teaser was for fans like us. So that was definitely a Blumhouse move. And I think that's really cool. It was definitely really smart to release the teaser with the news. I think if they just delayed it without showing us anything, that would have been a much harder pill to swallow. But um, it is really short. I mean, it is very much a teaser. But uh, from what we see, I think it looks pretty good. It's... You know, Michael still looks pretty good. Haddonfield looks like it's an absolute chaos. We got a dude with some flat legs in there. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Yeah, that was a great Hawkins mention. (laughs) So we can just go through the teaser shot by shot because it's actually not very long. We get some establishing shots of Haddonfield. Same night, Halloween 2018. We get a picture of balloons, which is really weird and odd. And that is apparently the first shot of the movie, which I think is like cool. And then we get a nice fall atmospheric shot, which no one's noticing this, but Hawkins is laying in the street on his back and his legs are completely flattened from when Sartain ran him over with his own police cruiser. So Hawkins is in a bad way, but we, we knew he was coming back just from David Gordon Green teasing that. And the the argument on that was whether or not he would be featured in the flashback. Like if they went back and filmed the scene that uh, David Gordon Green chose not to film for 2018. Mm-hmm. But the reason he didn't film that was because John Carpenter told him not to. <laughs> and so obviously I don't think that was the intended goal. And we know Lori's going to end up in Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. So it would make sense if Hawkins was alive, he'd end up there too. And to have your two strongest characters, the two people who have faced off against Michael Myers before and actually know what he's capable of bedridden for an entire movie, just like as this pandemonium ensues outside that's a really powerful character arc for both of them i think right and it sets them up to have a big like redemption moment in the third movie yeah it also justifies him living through what happened to him because he was stabbed in the throat like straight up by sartain's weird spinal column pen and then he was run over by a chevy tahoe with three people in it i mean probably should be dead in all honesty if we're gonna be serious but but what can you do i'm glad they made the decision to bring him back though that was that was such a mistake we talked about that the night we saw it before the movie even came out we were like ah that was kind of dumb to kill him off he was a great character so i'm I'm glad that they're bringing him back i feel like the only reason they had him die in the first place was because they were going to have that that flashback scene open up halloween 2018 where he arrests michael right after michael and they were going to change the ending and have michael kill loomis 
which would have been really controversial. So I'm glad they didn't do that. And then obviously Michael would have gotten revenge on him in some way by murdering him later in the movie. But spilt milk, water under the bridge. He's coming back to life. That's awesome. Then we cut to Lori, Allison, and Karen in the back of the pickup truck. We get literally one frame of calm. They're all just like, <laughs> and then you see fire trucks rolling by. Yeah. And Lori's like, what the fuck? <laughs> She's like, no. And it's like, yeah, you feel her pain there. She went through all this trouble to burn a house down on top of Michael Myers, and he's going to live, as we know. And he's going to get out and go on a killing spree in Haddonfield. And that that shot work there, incredible. There's a really cool like camera turn to look from the pickup truck to the fire trucks as they pass. That That's awesome. I have no complaints there. And then it cuts to the logo on the new release date. And then we see the burn mask, which is not that different. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was kind of an opportunity for them to, like, if they really wanted to not really go as extreme as, like, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 mask, but they could have really beat it up or, like, melted it to his face or something a little bit more extreme than, than at least what that teaser mask shows. I would have liked to see it melt to his face just because that would be cool because the whole idea was he was just standing dormant in the Smith's Grove sanitarium or whatever. And then he's shown the mask and that like wakes him up. So it'd be really cool if they like turned around and glued it to his face, essentially, you know, with the fire. Obviously, the hair would also all be gone. I'm glad they're taking some creative liberties there. They also made the bullet hole a lot smaller in the mask from uh, Halloween 2018. It's like a huge rip at the end of that movie. And you can see a lot of Michael's face, like his jawline. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a direct response to all the people bitching about that. They were like, fine. Okay, we'll make the hole smaller. But overall, it looks better, the hole. So no complaints for me. I wish... I, I understand why this teaser didn't show him doing anything, and it's not an actual teaser. I guarantee that the original teaser they had planned is more of a trailer. But they're not going to put anything out now beyond that, you know? Right. I mean, at this point, now they have another year where they have to, you know, plan out their marketing differently than how they originally planned to so they're probably gonna have to you know essentially like stretch out what content they had set aside for marketing or film new stuff or recut trailers and and have more to show between now and when the movie comes out i've seen a lot of people talking about how they're scared that uh it'll have to be delayed again like next year if the virus isn't gone and i'm sorry to say but if the virus isn't gone by next october and this movie is not able to come out you've got a lot bigger problems like the distributor universal will go out of business yeah (laughs) if they can't release a movie between now and the end of next year that's going to be major problem like major 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 problem and i don't i don't think we really have much to worry about there i think i think we'll be fine in over a year I, i hope but the other interesting thing here george is that they moved the Candyman release date from september 25th it's another Universal movie, to uh, October 14th, which was Halloween Kills date. Isn't that weird that they're still planning on releasing uh, Candyman this year in theaters? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why they would even... I mean, let alone... I, I can understand if they like pushed it back, but moving it up to fill the space for a movie that just got delayed, it just doesn't really make any sense. Because if you can't go to the theater... I mean, I guess unless they're really expecting like very very little money out of it and they're 
happy with like the one million dollars they'll get in box office revenue i don't know uh yeah the major silver lining here though is that next year we're going to have i guarantee you Candyman gets delayed till next year so we'll have Candyman, we'll have scream five and halloween and spiral from the book of saw all in the same year Damn. we will have four of the biggest horror franchises and coolest ones ever releasing at the same time how insane is that uh, that that thought did not occur to me at all until you just brought that up, but that is going to be a really, really stacked schedule if everything goes as planned and everything's out next year. And what makes me happy is out of that whole spread, Halloween is just on a different level than all of those movies. And that's like that's really saying something because all of those movies are big franchises. Like Scream is huge. Candyman is going to be huge because of who's working on it um you know the other one saw saw is like one of the biggest franchises of all time and the fact that halloween of all franchises this franchise that's had terrible movie after terrible movie just garbage here for years decades even is able to have legs to the point where it's like you can just definitively say that is going to be the biggest horror movie of next year like mark my words that's awesome yeah that just makes me so happy yeah that is crazy that they were able to turn it around so in such a massive way with Halloween 2018. Really yeah. course corrected there. So good job, Blumhouse. Yeah, if I'm Jason Blum, I'm like, I could retire now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and another thing I want to tell you. So Halloween ends, obviously. If it was to film, it would start filming in August this year if everything was normal, back to normal, mm-hmm. like it was last year when we were all happy and just enjoying life. Um, if they did decide to stick to that and start filming it this August, I think it would be really tough because they'd have to follow all these rules, like had people wearing masks on set. They probably wouldn't be able to have X number of people on set at any given time. They'd have to probably do like daily COVID tests, you know, just to like be as safe as possible because that's a, that's a huge insurance, like liability, having all those people together. Right. So now that they've delayed everything a year, they could potentially just wait till next August to film Halloween ends. And the good thing is, it's not like this is getting delayed for any weird reason. It's everything is getting delayed. Like, every movie in the world is getting delayed. So anyone who has contract obligations that's involved with Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends will probably be just fine. Because everything is just getting shifted forward. So I don't think we have anything to worry about. And honestly, I think this is positive. What else could they really do? You know, they had to delay the movie. They're going to have to delay filming for the sequel. I wouldn't be surprised if the sequel gets pushed back. Like, if Ends gets pushed back again, that wouldn't really shock me just because of, you know, filming constraints if they really can't get it, get it finished in that time. Um, but, I mean, it's at least we got some news. Good, You know, getting some news is better than no news. Yeah, I'm glad that we don't have to, like, guess anymore. Like, is it going to be delayed? Is it not? There were some crazy rumors going around, like people were saying oh it'll end up on you know paid vod and it's like no then some people were saying don't discount netflix as a potential buyer of this movie uh our friends of the show fandom empire they had a source that they actually trust who actually gets stuff right tell them that and i was like there's no fucking way that's ever gonna happen like netflix is not gonna pony up 300 million dollars to buy a halloween movie there's just no way they can make money off of that yeah i mean i like they seem to have the money to buy whatever they want so they feasibly could cut a check and do that but i don't really see see them doing that in any 
real way. That wraps up uh, pretty much all of the Halloween news. I'm sure there's a couple things we missed, but stuff is going to trickle out now that um, you know the floodgates have sort of been opened. I don't think we're going to get a lot of marketing material. Like we still don't have a poster, and weirdly enough, the title treatment is bizarrely bad once again. It's just that block Halloween font, <laughs> and then kills underneath it. It's like you guys come up with these creative titles. Can you do anything? with the title treatment and the marketing like at all please so i i think what we do have to look forward to though is NECA has some stuff ready for comic-con okay related to halloween kills and uh people were asking randy like are you going to show anything off related to halloween and he said tbd and that was a few weeks ago so now that they've gotten this out of the way i feel like we do have some cool new NECA stuff that could show up at comic-con at home later in the month yeah i mean i guess it just depends on how spoilery the the figures are if there's like you know certain characters at certain points in the movie it, i guess it just depends on how much information it gives away it's a weird spot for david gordon green to be in right now because everything about halloween 2018 was so rushed you know like yeah they they were still writing it when they started shooting it they had to go back and reshoot stuff they had to get it ready for a september showing at tiff they had to then get ready for all these other screenings. Like now, the movie's done. They could just fix it, make sure it's literally perfect, do whatever they can. I think that's really cool, and I'm glad that's working out for him because he was getting—he was kind of getting schlubbed, you know. Like he's being treated like a truth or dare to your Blumhouse <laughs> director. Now, now they're giving him the respect he deserves. Yeah, and I mean, you know, take take it with a grain of salt, but everyone who's worked on the movie seems to be really on board with it. Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, you know James Jude Courtney, Nick Castle, John Carpenter. They all, you know everybody basically tweeted that it's it's worth the wait and it's very good. So hopefully that's that is the case. Andy Matichek did too. So I don't think we have a lot to worry about here. I know it's disappointing for a lot of you, but hey, like what are you gonna do? Shit's crazy in the world. So I, I think this is the best possible outcome, like that we could have hoped for. But that covers it for the Halloween alert. Let's talk about a movie. That is very actually special, George, for a lot of reasons called The Wretched. So we watched this over the weekend, uh, over the 4th of July weekend. Literally could, no better time to watch a movie like this. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, I'll let you I'll let you talk about this one. What, what did you think of it? Uh, so I was really impressed with this. So um, this is filmed in northern Michigan, filmed and takes place in northern Michigan, which is, you know, cool to see that kind of scenery in this movie. Not something that we see uh, typically for for a horror movie setting even though it's like the perfect setting northern it's like woods creepy uh don't understand why it's not used more often but essentially the plot is uh this kid uh ben is moving in with his dad he went through parents went through a divorce recently um some very weird happenings start going on around his home at night thinks he sees this like weird creature kid next door disappears and his parents seem completely oblivious to the fact they ever had a kid and you know weird creepy things ensue but i thought it was really well done personally whenever movies like this come out the, the reviewers get to see them so early that they review the movie and then you have to wait like a year or whatever for it to actually come out that did happen with this because it premiered last july at fantasia fest or fantastic fest or something and then it, oh wow really yeah it got picked up by ifc midnight but reviews are really positive for this, um, and even though it got really solid reviews from horror websites, I still liked it, which <laughs> very rarely happens with a lot of these indie movies, because 
I, I don't know why that is. It's just weird. I just think my tastes are just misaligned with a lot of the critics out there right now, which is fine. And the craziest thing about this movie is it was extremely cheap. Obviously, it was sponsored in some part by Lincoln because there's a direct call out to Lincoln. <laughs> and then at the end, the, the end of the movie has a brand new Lincoln. Yeah. And it... And it's shot like a commercial. Like it's very clearly this movie is sponsored by Lincoln. Lincoln's obviously owned by Ford, a Detroit company. So that's it's really cool to see a, a movie made in Michigan, set in Michigan, made by people who lived in Michigan, like grew up there in their hometown, um, and then having Michigan brands support it is great. But it also is one movie out of all the movies that got helped by COVID. They're like probably so thankful that this virus <laughs> happened in a weird way. So. Obviously, every movie got fucked by COVID, but this movie was always planned to be shown in drive-ins and then be able to be rented on VOD. Drive-ins the only theaters people could go to. This is the first movie since Avatar to hold the number one spot for six weeks straight, and then it's the first movie since Black Panther to hold it five weeks straight. So it broke two records, <laughs> and it on its meager budget guaranteed meager budget it made 2.2 million dollars as of uh as of now which is insane that's a that's an incredible profit for ifc midnight who george and i are big fans of like we've been talking about their movies that they pick up since before we, we've been talking about it on the show since the beginning but we've been talking about them on twitter and all over the place on the internet since forever because they put out some really cool stuff and this just felt like an incredible return to form for them great practical effects when there is CGI, it actually looked good, which is nice in a movie like this. Mm -hmm. And it wears a lot of its inspirations on its sleeve. It really impressed me with the fact that it's very clearly inspired by Evil Dead. You've got crawling under a tree into like this root cellar type deal where it's like a tunnel system. The monster is great. There's a lot of great camera work, really good visual effects, really good makeup effects. The story fits the setting. It feels like it follows in the sense where... The story in It Follows was supported by the fact it was shot around where we live in Michigan. Um, this one feels the same way. Like, you could totally believe there being a witch out in the woods up in Traverse City right. area towards the UP, you know? And the way that she puts on other people's skin, uses this, like, siren power to whisper in their ear and kind of make them forget they ever had kids so that she can eat them. It's totally believable. And it, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's an actual, like, sort of urban legend out there. That was kind of one of the things that I that really stuck out to me was that the, the like, witch monster is really unique. Like, you know, wearing somebody's skin, using the siren powers, like, eating children. It's, like, a pretty cool, different style monster that, that we don't really get to see that often. I mean, we, you know, we obviously saw movies like The Witch, which is an excellent movie in its own right, but we don't really see too many, like, witch powers in that movie um and this one really like leans into it being more so a monster movie than anything else which i appreciated there is a weird twist in the third act where it's not even a spoiler because it's so just out of left field you would just never know it was coming the main character ben he i guess had a little brother that he forgot about thanks to the witch but like it, the timeline of events there is kind of off because it's like, when did the witch become aware of him? You know, like throughout the entire movie, she's like dubious of him mm -hmm. and realizes about halfway through that he's like actively hunting her. You know, he's like trying to figure out what's going on here. So it's like, when exactly did he forget his brother? Because we see him driving on a bus up to Northern Michigan with his, with no one at the beginning of the movie. But then it turns out his little brother was there. 
And it's like, did we see a memory then? Like, where does that fit into the timeline of events? That's literally my only plot complaint, though. That's, like, kind of messy, but I feel like it, it definitely doesn't really spoil the movie or spoil... I mean, I guess you could, you know, just assume that her powers are enough to, like, retroactively remove all of your memories for so long or something like that. It's odd, though, because um, they introduce this character named Mal, I think is her name. Yeah, Mal. She's played by Piper Curta, which is a weird name. Um, she's played really well by Piper Curta. She does a great job. She has a little sister who's taken by the witch and Ben actually goes and tries to like rescue her. And I'm not going to spoil what happens after that, but there was already motivation for him to rescue a child. Right. They didn't have to like also <laughs> introduce the fact that he had the same thing happen to him. I really think they utilize the setting well of Northern Michigan. It just looks great. It takes place in the middle of the summer and just the whole plot of him going up to see his dad who owns this, uh, marina totally believable watching him work there and you know meet people who live up there and go to parties up there everything just felt believable and the fact that so much work went into like building out the characters in a simple monster movie like this it makes the stakes feel a lot higher to me yeah where it's like essentially a you know you get to know everybody you like them you kind of get get their feel of the world and their relationships and then it, then you actually care when the bad things happen to them. Yeah, and for a movie that was so cheap, all of the acting is great. All the performances are spot on. Even the kid acting is really good. And uh the the mom who is taken over by the witch the very at the pretty much the very beginning of the movie extremely well acted. You feel really bad for her because the witch takes her baby first and then takes over her and wears her skin and just Costume design was on point. Looked like what people wear in Michigan. Really cool shout out to the like that Detroit Bad Boys shirt that everyone wears, you know? Yep. I just think like it really makes a good case for shooting where your script demands and not trying to build it out on a soundstage, you know? Like I, I think that's really cool and really important. And it sucks that Michigan got rid of this tax break for films because we could have way more stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of shows the benefit of just filming in somewhere unexpected, setting your story in somewhere that's not a place we've seen a million times, I think adds a lot to just making the story more interesting because you see things that you're not used to or you could think about, you know, a place you'd never visited before and think, oh, you know, Northern Michigan actually looks pretty nice from this movie. Maybe I'll go visit there someday. I mean, I think just just adding variety like that into something as simple as the setting of a movie really, I think, makes it more interesting as a whole. Yeah, I really think people write off Michigan as like a travel destination. But, you know, the more I go back there, since I live in L.A. now, obviously, it, it really is just so, so different than every other state. There's so much you can do, and it's so diverse geographically. You've got like the Detroit area, which is all lake-centered. Then you've got western Michigan, which is like all like Michigan size stuff, which you take bigger boats out or jet skis and stuff like that. Then you've got the UP, which is all forest. It's essentially like a like frigid climate. It's just a really cool place that can be shown off well in film, obviously, because you have stuff like Batman versus Superman made Detroit look really cool. Transformer shot there. They utilize the old train station in Detroit. Well, it follows is one of the best horror movies of the past I don't even know how many years and it utilizes that Michigan setting so well because it's so quintessential, like small town right. America. It's so idyllic and just like a really cool setting. And, you know, you could just shoot the movie there, but this movie sets itself there. Right. There's a big difference. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, just the, 
I mean, even, you know, we went like Metamora, Michigan, which is, you know, not even the northern part of it. And it's very densely forested. I mean, it's just like the, like you were saying, the diversity of areas where you could be in a city one minute, drive 20 minutes north, and you're in the middle of a forest. I mean, there's just so much variety there. So it's so easy to shoot and, and just show off, you know, the, the cool settings of the state. Yeah. For context for people, we were out where George said in Metamora, which is less than 15 minutes away from where the Pistons used to play. It's still considered like Detroit by, you know, the country at large. And there's very little like internet out there. Like uh satellite TV is dominant. The water is mostly well water, <laughs> but then you can go just 45 minutes South down to Detroit. And it's like a whole city. Unfortunately, COVID is stripping away a lot of the hard work that's been done over the past 10 years to make it like a actually fun place to hang out, fun and safe place to hang out. Um, hopefully they can bounce back from that, but it's just crazy. It seems like Michigan is just this like golden key <laughs> for so many horror movies lately. And this is yet another one. And honestly, the zeitgeist right now seems to be focused on very depressing personal types of horror movies like hereditary the witch stuff stuff like that you know like a24 mm-hmm. style horror where people have very personal events happen to them like breakups or weird allegories they can make with these darker movies and all of them are about embracing the monster in the end really like the witch she becomes a witch in the end mm-hmm. Duck, the lady has to embrace all of her insecurities to make the monster go away and i like i think there's a place for that stuff obviously because it does really well but there is a huge disconnect, I feel, between a lot of the critics who are just championing the, championing this stuff all the time and then what people actually want to see, which is stuff like The Wretched, which, again, being Avatar for being the six weeks in a row, like, people loved this movie. They went out to see it at the drive-in theater, you know? Yeah. And I get why critics are looking for something different because obviously doing making every movie that comes out, every horror movie, a throwback to the eighties is just doomed to fail. And it makes it all bland. It like just makes it all feel the same. But this movie felt really fresh in a way that reminded me of the quote unquote, good old days of VHS, the innkeepers, you're next, the guest, all of our favorite movies. Like it was such a step back in time, just a few years. And we were really onto something back then. And I don't know what the fuck happened, but all of those movies seem to go away in lieu of stuff like Hereditary, The Guest, or no, Hereditary, Midsummer. you know, yeah. these darker movies. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of, I mean, not, not a bad thing, because those are all very good movies. I mean, I think we're all, you know, both of us are, are big fans of those movies as well, but... Yeah, we're huge fans of all of them. Right. We love The Witch. We, we love The Witch and all those movies. Right, I think it's just a, you know, sometimes you want to watch something like that that's kind of deeper and, you know, very symbolic or has a very deep story or you know more intense character development or darker stories but then there's also a place for movies like this that are you know kind of a fun monster movie that doesn't you know takes itself seriously but it's not too serious and you know you can watch it and feel good at the end of the day and you know just kind of move on it's almost like not a throwback to an 80s movie but it gives you the same feeling as like a you know an old friday the 13th movie or something where you know, you sit back, you watch the monster do some stuff, and, you know, you walk away happy at the end of it. And I think you can run into a real risk situation where you over-explain things, like you get really dialogue-heavy and yada yada. But with this witch and the wretched, we don't even know what this thing is called, which is cool, but we know everything about it just based on what it does. 
in the movie. It's very good about showing you instead of telling you. There is a scene where he where Ben goes and Googles what it is, but it's it's not he, he doesn't read to the screen. He doesn't read the Google page. Right. It's not five minutes of exposition of oh, and this is what the witch is called, and it's been around for five thousand years, and it does A, B, and C. It was just you know like an old old textbook page. I mean, I think that's kind of one of the cool things. It's like the lore is like fairly minimal, but very believable. Like you could read about a witch like this or a cryptid like this and be be interested. Totally. And the fact that it's so well thought out to the point where, you know, like a lot of people I think could make a very valid criticism of movies like this, where if he doesn't go and talk to someone who's faced off against it before and knows a lot about it, it'll be weird if he's able to defeat it. But this movie sets it up in such a way where the witch has been uncontested in this area for so long that someone actually fighting back and figuring out what it is, is really threatening to it, you know? And it's, it's kind of like it chapter two, how they end up defeating Pennywise in in a sense, but it's not just directly told to you that that's what they're doing or that's what Ben's doing. Right. The way he confronts this thing head on is he tries to outsmart it. And once this thing, realizes that it actually can be hurt it like it makes the the battlefield more even and i totally believe that he was able to defeat this thing like you know how many movies are there where you ward something off with salt and there's some fucking fucking stupid way that the (laughs) thing walks around it or like something like that right in this movie salt is like a legitimate weapon against this creature and he uses it pretty effectively but there, there comes a point where after he starts fighting it the monster uses his own tactics against him by like goading him into throwing salt at it so that it can get him in trouble. And it's just, it's really extremely well thought out, which again makes it so weird about him having a little brother. That was such a weird moment because and I don't think it was to pad time either because it's a hundred minute movie. So they could have cut stuff to still be feature length and it would have been fine. I, I just don't know about that decision, but that's honestly my only criticism with it. And that's crazy. For how small of a movie this is, and just how simple it is. Yeah, and I mean... Like, I, I don't want to oversell it, you know, but I was really impressed. I mean, it totally... I mean, going back to the budget, it definitely punches way outside its budget in terms of, like, the effects all look amazing, like you said earlier. And the cinematography, you know, it's shot really well. There aren't bad actors. I mean, this... You would not believe that this was a $30,000 movie, which I think was the the estimated budget for this. It's just cool. Like, it's really cool. I totally believe that these guys who grew up there, the Pierce brothers, they just went up and found people that they knew and filmed in their houses. And it's just when you... it's. I guess it's just easy to film somewhere that you know. And they utilize that in such a smart way that so many other directors just don't seem to be able to do and obviously we have perspective having grown up in michigan and i go back there a lot like every july 4th since i moved out to la i've been back every october since i moved out to la i've been back every christmas a couple thanksgivings like i'm still ingrained in that society and i i'm i'm sure that gives us a little more perspective than most people but a lot. I, I, I read a lot of the reviews and a lot of people seem to get it. The only negative reviews I saw compared it to Stranger Things, which is just like the most inept, like smooth brain comparison <laughs> I can think of for something like this. It's like at this point, if something has a monster and someone between the age of like 13 and 20, it's compared to Stranger Things, which is completely ridiculous in its own right because Stranger Things is inspired by all the same movies as this. You know, in terms of setting, like, yeah, it's a small town, but it's, like, not the 80s. It's not, like, like the, you know, 
Ben doesn't pull out like a cassette player and play his favorite cassette tape or anything like, you know, just it's that's just a weird comparison to me. Yeah, I guess he does have a bike, but he's a kid. When he gets the bike, he's like, yeah, he can't ride the bike because his arm's broken. He ends up riding it like once or twice, but it's not like a. Well, me and my friends are gonna go out in town on our bikes right. and stay out late and fight the monster. It's it's darker than that, and the score we did not even talk about, but the score is like also punching way above its weight. It's a really good orchestral score that gives this a sort of like Fear Street or Goosebumps vibe. It feels like a long lost episode that firmly roots itself in its R rating. Yeah, completely. That's a great comparison. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, and I actually saw a review after I thought of that where someone was like, you can't have a Goosebumps score in a movie where kids are dying. And it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you ever see it's the evil so mask? You see story. the haunted mask? Yeah. Kids die in that. Kinda. Have you seen Stay Out of the Basement or read that book? Like the dad is replaced by a plant version clone of himself. And you think at the end that the dad's going to be okay. And he's just dead. <laughs> it turns out he's just replaced. Like Goosebumps got way darker than anything that's in here. So Say cheese and die? Forget about it. Die is in the title. Yeah. And then movies like, I don't know, Black Christmas come out. And the intent is taken to have more value than the execution and i just i can't get on board with that mentality it's just the execution here is so well thought out and so good that yeah maybe it's not trying to tell some story about grief or abuse or depression or anxiety all these things that people do have nowadays but it's a horror movie that's in a form of escapism which is why so many people get into the genre in the first place you know like it's just it's crazy to me that critics have such a hard time it seems separating their fandom from their need to go in and eviscerate anything that doesn't fundamentally change the way they see or think about things, you know, it's just right. It's like, you should be reviewing movies like this because you like movies, not because you're trying to nitpick everything that's wrong about a genre, you know? Yeah. And, and I think there's definitely room for both where you can have these kinds of, you know, less social commentary, you know, more so just telling an interesting story you know, with a creepy monster and a cool, unique setting. And you can have, you know, the movies like Hereditary and The Witch and uh, Midsummer that, that kind of delve into those more mm, prevalent issues a little bit deeper. Yeah, because it's getting to the point where enough movies have come out that are about this stuff where it is becoming a cliche of its own. Like, you've gotten to the point where a universal monster movie, The Invisible Man, is about gaslighting. You know? Yeah. Like, we're getting to the point where the A-list movies are having this stuff and i don't think people are ready for the point in time we are rapidly approaching where that stuff becomes cliche to most people and i feel like there's going to be a lot of pushback to anyone who talks about them that way but proof and proof is in the pudding here ifc midnight has another movie that's sort of like hereditary coming out very soon i think actually this friday you can rent it called relic and it's in yet another movie extremely well reviewed but it's definitely more in line with something like the babadook or you know the hereditary or the witch than something like The Wretched. And if IFC Midnight can afford to put out two movies within two months that are polar opposite ends of the horror spectrum, I I feel like all these other studios will be just fine too. Right. Like we don't need to we don't need to pit these movies against each other. Like it feels like so many critics do. And I understand the fear that like if movies like Annabelle comes home or this continue to do so well, that's all you're gonna see. But the the smallest indie releasing publisher out there is putting out two vastly different movies within two or three months of each other 
So I think everything's going to be okay. But yeah, this movie's great. Yeah, highly. I think we both highly recommend this one. It's one of the only movies I've ever seen that has a 73 on Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm calling it underrated. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, that's, that's how I that's how I feel that's about That's a it. good score. I mean. Yeah. So if you guys want to check it out, it's it's only rentable. I tried to go buy it. It's, it's going to be available to buy at the end of August. You'll be able to get it on Blu-ray, and obviously you can buy it on Amazon Prime or whatever. And then I would suggest waiting until September, though, and buying a 4K Blu-ray, especially with uh, all these new consoles coming out. Everything's going to have a 4K Blu-ray player. And then you'll have the digital 4K copy for, you know, you're future-proofing yourself. I am definitely buying this on 4K when it's out. I just didn't feel a need to rent it again, you know? Like, um, but I would I would love to watch it again. Now, now that I talked about it, it's one of those movies where it's like you talk about it. And I want to, like, as soon as this is over, I want to go watch it. Right. So, <laughs> Completely. That's a good sign. Uh, so that is The Wretched. We also watched a few other movies. Um, we, we should start with Unsolved Mysteries, though. We talked about it last week. Uh, we watched most of it while we were playing Destiny. I think it's okay. I think it's, like, good. I wouldn't call it great. And mostly because it's six episodes and only one of them focuses on some sort of, like, cryptid or actual unexplained oddity. Most of it is true crime. I mean, I, I, know, I don't hate that. I think that there is a lot of right. interesting unsolved true crime stories that... Um, you know, I do want to find find out more about, or I'm just kind of interested in like the facts of it, like the guy that you know supposedly jumped off the ceiling of that or the roof of that one hotel and ripped through the floor on the second second story. Pretty, you know, pretty interesting. I think it's just kind of um, I don't know. I, I think it does really like miss something without a host. We were saying it was smart to not have a host, but I think it just being basically a podcast with visuals kind of is less interesting yeah and the visuals are extremely well done and i agree i do like that it is a lot of like unsolved cases it's basically forensic files before forensic files like uh, forensic files is all patting the cops on the back but this is stuff that they haven't been able to figure out or stuff that they refuse to look into which is like another really important thing to bring up Mm -hmm. but i feel like if you're going to release six episodes i'd say like three of them should be about a cryptid sighting or alien abduction you know the real unexplained stuff that people watched the show for back in the day right and i mean and even so like i, I don't think that that ufo one was even that great yeah it was terrible <laughs> I mean, it, was, like, it was very mediocre it was just a bunch of like small town people that said that they saw a ufo and basically they all said the same thing where they were like we saw it and we know that we saw it so you can't change my mind and it's like okay <laughs> it's like interesting so interesting and uh the only one we didn't watch was the one that is in french because we were playing a game or we watching it but, uh, i'm definitely gonna check that out though i like it i think they're off to a good start it's a good platform that could eventually become something great it's definitely a huge hit it was it's number one in the top 10 on netflix people are definitely checking it out so i think we're almost guaranteed more episodes. I mean, I could see them doing at least six more if that's the season length that they choose. And I'll, I'll watch more of it. I just think that um, wasn't necessarily the strongest start. I'd love to know what the plan is here. Like, what is the release schedule they're going for? Because six episodes every year is embarrassing and cringy, and this should not even be a thing. But if it's like six episodes every three to four months... Yeah, if they do like a quarterly thing, maybe. Or if they have like a... Uh... You know, 
something where they get more information on the cases they bring those up when you know they put something together and release that it just depends honest obviously on like if they do get more information or not hopefully what i'm assuming is this is what should happen the reason they're splitting it up into six episode chunks is so for the next six episodes if they get any leads from people calling in and watching the show they can do updates in future episodes like the old unsolved mysteries did right you know like that ideally is what we would like to see it's just weird that they haven't established any of this, um, you know, out the gate. It just feels like they're just throwing it out there. Like, it depends on if people do have information, if they do get any extra leads. So I think that's probably, that's a good point. That's probably why they're doing the shorter seasons. So, like, if something comes up, they can, you know, impromptu throw that into, like, the next six-episode pack that comes out and, you know, four months or five months or whatever for those of you out there who are really interested in when we talk about money in movies and you know producing side of things on the filmmaking side like how the business side works on it keep your eye on sean levy he's the producer of this he also produced uh child's play 2019 and stranger things so i I think this guy is a dude to watch because as much shit as we talk about child's play 2019 the movie was extremely profitable definitely it was a good way to keep rights and capitalize on the hype of whatever the fuck Don Mancini's got going on. Um, I, I think he's really shrewd and I think he's a really like savvy producer that people should definitely pay attention to. I feel like he's going to be a bigger name as time goes on, especially with stuff like stranger things under his belt. They really did a good job of also smartly calling back to the original unsolved mysteries. You have a silhouette of Robert stack mm-hmm. in the intro cinematic. I, that's not what it's called, but whatever. And the theme song is a nice crossover of The Walking Dead and the old Unsolved Mysteries theme. And it's, it's really good. It's catchy. It gets stuck in your head. And this show does not use any, if if any, stock footage. It's all really shot on location type stuff that's really well establishing shots. And it, it does approach that creepy vibe from time to time, which I appreciate. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think the issue for me is just most of it's filmed during the day. Like, there's not really yeah. that many, like, night shots. There's, And so it's obviously harder to, like, have a creepy tone in the middle of the day. Uh, but then it's also harder to, like, show the evidence and, and show what they're trying to show. So it's, you know, it's a fine line. Yeah, it feels like a really good middle ground on bringing Unsolved Mysteries back. Because what are you going to do without Robert Stack? Forensic Files 2 was uh, much less successful, in my opinion. <laughs> without their narrator who did over 400 episodes so i think they're off to a good start there another thing we can talk about before we wrap up real quick we essentially watched pretty much the entire catalog of platinum dunes horror remakes did you really like i didn't realize this until i looked at it we the only one we really missed was texas chainsaw massacre and uh obviously texas chainsaw the beginning so we watched Piranha 3D, Friday the 13th, 2009, Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds, and The Hills Have Eyes from 2006. Interestingly enough, two of these movies are directed by the same guy, Alexandra Aha, who also did Crawl last year. So these were really fun to revisit, honestly. Amityville Horror, though, I think was the one that disappointed both of us the most. <laughs> yeah, I remember liking that movie. Like, I remember uh, like basically defending that movie up until recently thinking that i did like it and after re-watching it i was like that was not very good (laughs) (laughs) it was solid like the house is great the house looks awesome the overall plot is a little cliche feeling at this point uh, but i think it works fine it's just a little long in the tooth by the time you get to the end of the movie 
you're like is this wrapping up soon and nothing is really explained which is also weird like a lot of the plot revelations come in the last 10 minutes but they introduce some really cool stuff like a dungeon underneath the house this weird like cowboy-esque ghost that's causing all these murders to happen the fact that ryan reynolds is slowly becoming like more zombie-esque and having like dead eyes and stuff mm-hmm. all of this is introduced so late in the film that it just is so rushed at the end that you're like what what just happened? Like, <laughs> yeah. It gives you whiplash. Yeah, it is really strange. Because, I mean, even, like, all the... It, it's, like, so much buildup for so few things that happen in that movie. Like, one of the big scenes is the Ryan Reynolds forcing his kid to hold the log while he chops it in half with the axe. And that's, like, what? Like, that, like it just is so weirdly paced. And, and like, one of the big like evil forces in the house or these set of arms that keep like picking up the ghost girl that walks around and we never find out what that's all about there's just a lot of weird decisions in that movie yeah and then oddly on the other end of the spectrum we have a movie which by all accounts should be horrible piranha 3d but it's actually really good for what it is it, it's it's got this all-star cast of people like adam scott christopher lloyd ving rames like it's kind of like a who's who of horror movies. And even though the plot is kind of dumb, it is really competently directed and has a lot of good tension building, scary moments. And even though the fish are all CGI, they look pretty good to me. Uh, there's some good kills in this movie, like Ving Rhames holding the back of the <laughs> yeah. boat propeller and getting like mowed down. Like you see him shrinking into the water as his legs get eaten is great. There's a shot of a guy ro- riding like a, little speedboat just through people and this girl's hair gets sucked up in the propeller it's very inventive with a lot of its kills yeah what did you think of this one i mean it's like it's okay it's a fun watch um you know it like you say there's some some good moments like there's some good kills like that i i agree i don't think the piranhas look that bad i mean they look definitely more dated now than they do when the movie came out but i wouldn't say they look horrible um I mean, it's not a great movie, but it's it's fun to watch, and it's definitely good for, like, summertime. I never saw Piranha 3DD. I, I doubt it holds a candle to this. <laughs> I'm just going to go on a limb there. Friday the 13th, 2009, the remake. That's one I really like, and I've always liked, and I'm feeling about the same on it after watching it again. I think it's, like, a really good way to bring back that franchise. And I think it was a really smart move to get that guy from Supernatural at, at the time. I mean, he was a big you know, big name in the horror TV show at the time. So smart to bring him in. Uh, I mean, really the one thing we took umbrage with was how Jason dies. Yeah. Like it's the, that's my big issue is that like the ending is so anticlimactic that it's like, yeah, no shit. He's still alive. Like (laughs) there'd be no possible reality where he would not be still alive. So, uh, but, but the kills are good. Jason, I think has played really well. Like he really plays off that giant lumbering force as good you know as as good as it can be in a movie um really i don't think there's a lot to complain about i think it's good i mean the the cast is like kind of whatever but but that's makes sense for like the fodder kills in a friday the 13th movie yeah i like how the intro is 25 minutes long <laughs> and shows him killing like four people right. that's pretty cool that sort of sets up the plot the best remake of all though the hills have eyes yeah surprisingly really good <laughs> It goes so much harder than it has to and weaves this extremely competent tale that achieves so much more than Wrong Turn could ever hope to. <laughs> like, it's, it's like unironically good Wrong Turn. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to describe it. Um, yeah, I mean, because that's like, 
it's a real hero's journey that movie like that main character Duh. really does a full you know is like a really interesting cool character by the end of it it's it's a very fun watch they also do some really smart stuff by setting up the dad bob to be this like gun-toting american hardcore like ex detective type dude and he's the first one to go right so it's like these people have this matriarch or patriarch who is ready to defend them at any turn he runs a tight ship he's like classic classic quintessential american dad who worked for the government and right out of the gate he's out and that really just sets in for them you know it really just makes it so that they realize they're fighting some sort of uphill battle here there's a lot of really cool gore in that movie uh the whole nuke town is it great where you find out the motives of these mutant people? Um, the makeup is awesome. The kills are also awesome. There's some just really gory, brutal stuff in this movie. Way better than the original. Just like phenomenally better than the original. It feels like Child's Play 2019 where they had a completely different movie that was vaguely similar. <laughs> and then they used a name that would get more people in theaters right. and then they get to keep the rights. But they had a way better movie this time instead of a like marginally worse one. <laughs> yeah, I I really like the mutant people aspect. I don't think you see enough mutant people in movies anymore. I agree. I know that cleft palates are kind of falling out of favor with people, obviously, because like the go-to for a lot of people when they're designing a mutant is like cleft palate. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think a lot of the creativity is there. I'd really like that subgenre to really take hold and come back though, because that movie is just such a satire of like American militarization. Like that's really, you can see what they're going for. It came out around the time of the Iraq war, like really in the heat of it, right in 2006. Mm -hmm. And you could tell exactly what they're critiquing. Obviously wrong turn kind of does similar stuff, but just effectively worse in almost every way. Like we, we ironically like wrong turn. (laughs) Right. That's because like the backwoods mutants are, likable just because they're so outrageous like three fingers like such an outrageous villain that you have to like cheer whenever he's on screen yeah exactly so it did get a sequel the hills of eyes 2 kind of a perfect title if you ask me but um it's terrible it's just so bad it's not even close to as good it feels like a wrong turn movie instead of something cool and original i think we just need to get more of alexandra aha or aja or whatever his name is he very sporadically directs English language movies and all of them are bangers in some capacity. He did mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland. He did Piranha 3d. He did crawl. He did the Hills have eyes. This dude just knows how to ratchet up the tension and the fear and make stuff that's really cool and thought provoking while also being just throwback type stuff, which is what we got in um, the wretched. He's like definitely in that category. I'd love to see more from that guy. Yeah, do we know if he has anything uh, in the works currently or no? I hope so, because Crawl was a massive success. Yeah. So you'd hope Sam Raimi would keep him like on retainer at least a little bit, you know, just to make one more movie or something. But obviously... Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, maybe he'll get his own Evil Dead movie if Evil Dead Rise takes off. Yeah, he came up in the whole like French extremity thing because he is a French uh, director. He did a movie called like High Tension or something that did extremely well in that genre. But George, that wraps up pretty much all the movies we watched over the weekend. We we didn't really play a lot of video games. We were pretty much in the pool the entire time or out in the woods doing some other crazy shit. So I think overall we did we had a pretty successful 4th of July weekend with some great horror movies. 
yeah, can't complain about that. Yeah, and uh, this Halloween news is 50-50 split between disappointing and exciting just because we got it. So I'd call this a very successful episode of Fear Frequency. What about you? Yeah, another great one in the books. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us. If you want to follow us, we're over at Jimmy Champagne and at George Rizard on Twitter and Instagram and pretty much anywhere you want to find us. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, make sure it's five stars. We will read any of those on the show. It does help out. Also, maybe go out and share the show with a friend this week. We've been growing a lot, but it always helps if you share it with people who are like-minded and you think they want to hear two guys talk about horror every week. I know there's not a lot of shows like that out there, but hey, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> I think ours is pretty, pretty damn good because we actually edit it, which puts us ahead of like 80% of our competition. Uh, anyway, guys, catch you in the next one. Bye.